I'm Dylan Stafford, and welcome to Drive Time, UCLA Anderson's podcast about some of the most interesting and ambitious people in our community. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Streaming live from Wisconsin <laughs> is Rob Busalachi, Pemba 2020, recently graduated just uh, in the summer after graduation. Here we are just a month or so past graduation and and about a month before, a month and a couple of days before he begins his new role at Barclays Capital Inc., where he is beginning as an associate in the financial sponsors group here with the Los Angeles office. He's not in Los Angeles at the moment. He is broadcasting to us live from where, where are you now? This is which part of the house? Yeah, so I'm in uh, Presque Isle, Wisconsin in my wife's childhood bedroom. So um, some of her accoutrements are my Zoom background today. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little warm and a little humid, but uh, all good. Yeah, we're hoping that, yeah, that he doesn't have air conditioning. So he's he's missing the west side of uh, Los Angeles. So we got to keep this pithy and keep it going well so you don't burn up up there. We used to make fun of it because, you know, you really don't need air conditioning in Wisconsin for except for a couple of weeks a year. And now, you know, getting used to that on the, the west coast is now I'm weak. California week. <laughs> <laughs> Except you're not. You are. Um, you've been a U.S. Marine. You're anything but weak. Uh, you were an honors graduate in your class. You were the recipient of our 2019 John Wooden Global Leadership Fellow. Uh, you did two of our global immersions. Plus, you went to New Zealand for GAP. Uh, you're a switcher. You know, we're just completing your military seven years of military service in the Marines, becoming a reservist. Uh, with a goal to, you know, enter the private sector in a powerful way. So if you're listening, uh, Rob is one of our five summer spotlights. I love our military representation in the student body. I think, you know, you guys have a leadership training that is second to none. I love switcher success stories. Um, I love love stories. You know, you and your wife have been dating since high school. So we're going to cover all that. And, and if you're listening and you're in the new entering class, uh, you're going to hear some great stuff about how to navigate FEMBA, how to make FEMBA really sing for your goals and interests. If you're a classmate of Rob in the 2020 um, graduating class, you know, again, with these five summer spotlights, we do want to just, you guys didn't have a commencement because of COVID. So we're trying to throw a little extra, a little extra shine on, on the accomplishment that everyone in the class of 2020 is and has. So um, that's what we're going to try to get done today in this long distance format. So Rob, I'm just thrilled that you were willing to accept the nomination from your peers and thanks for making this work back there with family time and everything in the summer right before you start your new job so thank you very much that's my long preamble to say welcome <laughs> well absolutely and i um, hopefully we'll be able to give you guys something that's useful and you know do the the rest of the class of 2020 proud yeah yeah for sure we will do that you've got great accomplishments and um you know, but before we jump into your kind of, because there's a lot that we want to talk about, about your, your actual Anderson Bemba experience and how you turn that into where you're going career-wise. But yeah. let's 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 go back to, you know, Rob growing up, your mom, your dad, where'd you grow up? Kind of who were you before you became a Marine? And, and let's let people kind of hear your backstory. Sure. I mean, I always say my roots are in Wisconsin because both my parents are from Milwaukee, um, but I kind of grew up all over the place. Uh, I was a true Army brat. Uh, my dad was in both the Navy and the Army from 1979 to 2001. So 
uh, I got to move around quite a bit uh, from Alaska to Colorado to upstate New York before he retired. And then my family moved to northern Wisconsin, where we have some uh, some roots here as well. And then went through, finished out middle school and did my whole high school time in northern Wisconsin. And then uh, also went to college at Marquette University in Milwaukee. So there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of pride in, in uh, the great state of Wisconsin. And, and But it, it wasn't the only place that shaped me along the way. Your father was in the Army and the Navy? Yeah, he actually started out um, as a rescue diver in the Navy. Um, so he was part of, you know, operations to help people who, uh, if there was a accident on an aircraft carrier and for somebody who was ditched in the water, or he also worked with sub hunting teams back in the, in the cold war. And at a certain point he decided he didn't want to jump out of helicopters anymore. And uh, the only way he could actually become a pilot was to move over to the army because they didn't require a uh, college degree at that time to become a pilot and the Navy did. Um, so he did a lateral transfer into the army and then uh, served out the rest of his, uh, you know, full career there. Oh, that's nice. So, so lots of moving around Alaska, all points, but then you got to middle school through high school, you got to be in Wisconsin. Yep. It was great. Uh, timed out well. My, um, one of the reasons my dad was uh, retiring when he was, was because he wanted us to all kind of have some stability through that stage. And I was the oldest and it was, about time for me to go to high school, and we, uh, you know, wanted to be kind of rooted in one place for that period of time. Um, so that's why, kind of, yeah, how we ended up here, and why that period of time lined up with high school. How many, how many siblings are you all? Yeah, I have a, a little brother who's 15 months younger than me, so we were very close. Um, we, you know, basically one grade apart our whole time and uh, did a lot of things together. And then my little sister, who's four years younger than me. Um, so that's the whole group, the five of us. Oh, very nice, very nice. And then your mom was a school teacher? Yeah, my mom actually, she stayed home and, and raised my brother and sister and I until I was 10. And then, you know, recognizing that, hey, down the line here, dad's gonna have to get out of the military and we might need to have a little bit more stability with careers. She started working herself back into the um, the teaching profession, starting out as a substitute substitute teacher. Um, she, you know, subbed at my middle schools in Carthage, New York. And um, when we moved up to Wisconsin here, um, my biggest substitute horror story was I had a uh, sex ed teacher tap out on the day that they were supposed to show a, a particularly, you know, traumatic video. And my mom was the sub showing that video to the class. Um, but it was great. She got uh, kind of some exposure there and then decided she wanted to do a master's degree, picked up a master's degree from UW Oshkosh along the way in um, literacy. And now she's a librarian and works full time at Savannah Oaks Middle School in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Oh, very nice. Oh, very nice. Oh, I love it. My mom taught middle school for 27 years. So when I was going through, she, she, she was the eighth grade English teacher. There were two and all my friends had my mom and I had the other person. Um, it was, it was a trip, I, but I never had to live through that. Um, <laughs> uh, it was bad enough that, you know, they had my mom and I mean, they were actually, most of my friends really liked my mom, but it, it's a funny dynamic, you know, yeah, most of it was good, but you know, you always have the, the funny stories to bring up too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you and your, your wife met in high school. Yeah. So, um, my wife actually attended the same high school I did up here and it was Lakeland Union high school, um, which is about 
45 minutes south of where I'm at right now, which is kind of ridiculous because uh, she had to make that drive every day to high school. It's the, wow. the largest at the time I went there. It was the largest geographic, um, you know, high school like, district uh, east of the Mississippi. So we met late in my high school time when she was uh, just gra- about to graduate and start at Marquette and I was about to start my senior year and we dated through college and uh, got married right after I graduated. So we just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary. Um, so we got to kind of grow up together, which is really special. That's awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. It doesn't always happen so much because people's lives are so, you know, convoluted anymore. Um, but yeah, I grew up in East Texas. So that was, you know, where I grew up, that happened a lot, you know, and now I get out here and everybody's so cosmopolitan and, you know, but my wife, she and I didn't meet until we were in our mid thirties. So, uh, you know, the other, the other end of the chronology of when you can start your life in a partnership kind of way. So, well, so, so why Marquette? What, what'd you like about Marquette? What drew you there? So I actually got to um, a little bit of exposure to the campus going down to visit my wife Mackenzie there when she was a freshman and I also had family in Milwaukee so it was kind of you know every time we'd go down there kind of you know kill two birds with one stone in that in that way um, really enjoyed the campus experience um, I heard great things from her and then uh, when I was going through the process of kind of figuring out how what my path was going to be in college I applied uh, to the NROTC um, marine option scholarship and basically the way it all shakes out is that um, I was looking at UW-Madison or Marquette and Marquette because the ROTC programs actually helped keep the university afloat during World War II um, they provide a housing allowance to all the four-year scholarship students and so I was basically going to have my entire undergrad experience um, covered by my ROTC scholarship and then also a little bit by Marquette. And so with the cost and having a, a girlfriend already going to the school, it sort of you know, put the chips on that side of the, the, you know, the balance scale towards Marquette over at UW-Madison. And um, I, I wouldn't, re- you know, it wouldn't do it any other way. I've had really great relationships that you know, are very important in my life still from that time at Marquette. Um, Marquette's got a really strong alumni group, even in LA. And, uh, you know, I think everywhere I went in the Marine Corps, when people would ask where I went to school and I would tell them, oh yeah, I was, I was a Marquette guy. They'd say, you know what? I know somebody else who, who went to Marquette and just because we wear it on our sleeve, we're very proud of the institution. And, you know, your father had, you know, army into Navy. Um, did you think you were going to be in the Navy or were you really you know, when did you know you wanted to become a Marine? It's funny because, uh, you know, I always talked about going into military service as something I definitely wasn't going to do because I, you know, had experienced the family life of being an army brat. But then as you grow up a little bit, you know, you, you look at the world a little differently than the eyes of a, you know, a little kid. Um, and I, you know, was kind of shaped by the, the, the events of our time when, you know, 9-11 happened and then the Iraq war was, um, going pretty hot and heavy when I was uh, kind of leading up to my college years. Um, and then I also went to a pretty formative event where um, in Ripon, Wisconsin, the university there, they actually host this thing called Badger Boys State every year, and it's put on by the American Legion. 
and they do this summer camp essentially for high school juniors that helps you understand uh, municipal government and kind of the options that you, you can follow if you're interested in civic service. Mm. And while I was there, I kind of got you know, some education about the, the college opportunities that were available through um, the different commissioning pipelines. And so I sat down with an army and a Marine Corps recruiter and um, the Marine Corps recruiter just kind of did the, the hook where he pitched it as a more significant challenge and, Hey, this is a really tough national competition to get these scholarships, you know, based on your, your kind of metrics right now. I don't know if you're going to be able to do it. And, and it's a pretty classic kind of technique that, you know, you hear about from a lot of different people who ended up in the Marine Corps and you know, it worked on me. I, I really wanted to be around other people who were very committed to what they were doing. And um, yeah, that was kind of the, the, pushed in that direction. And obviously from my dad's time in the Navy, he always spoke very highly of the Marines he worked with. So even though he was an army guy, he kind of supported the decision. Very nice. Yeah, I was in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M, but I was in an Air Force wing unit. And my junior year roommate after the first Iraq war broke out, you know, way back when this was in 90, he, it was not, it was not as impactful as 9-11, but he heard the call. He felt like he wasn't really spending his parents' money well. And he just, he didn't come back after Christmas. And he was sending <laughs> us letters and he was building bunkers in the desert. And, uh, you know, and then he went to college later and finished out. But um, yeah, and you, you said, you know, kind of even getting ready for this interview, you went back and listened to some of the other interviews that we've done. You know, Doug Longo, that was his story. You know, the impact of 9-11, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be a Marine. Um, I want to serve. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pathway to make a difference. And, you know, thank you for, thank you for listening and following that. So, um, did you, you went into the Marines right after Marquette or? Right after. So, uh, while at Marquette in the NROTC program, I think one of the reasons that I, the, the bonds that I have from that period are so strong is that because of, you know, the global war on terror at the time, we all had a really strong sense of urgency about the program while we were in college. I mean, even though we were um, going to classes like everybody else, you could see sort of the looming like expectation that within a year of graduation, we were all, you know, telling ourselves, being told by other recent graduates that you're gonna end up in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, so be ready. Um, so I think that was, you know, a great motivating force to, to really, um, encourage us to take it seriously, study hard and, and kind of prepare ourselves um, as much as possible for that challenge of, of leading Marines as like a young 21 year old, um, you know, right after graduation. I mean, the Corps does a great job of setting you up for success with that as well by putting you through a six month training program in Quantico, Virginia, before you ever get to your, your specialty courses. So uh, it was, it was interesting. It was, you know, like I said, it was, Things happened very quickly in the spring of 2010. I got commissioned, graduated. I got married the next week after, you know, had a, all my friends from, from college were kind of around at the same time still. So it was, a, it was a big, big group, big wedding and a lot of celebrating. And then was diving right into it um, and started training right away in July. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a really great time. No, no going back to mom and dad's basement and hanging out for a year. Not when you do it that way. No, it was, uh, like I said, and it was an interesting time because a lot of people had a lot of challenges, uh, you know, going 
2009, 2010, entering the workforce. And I was fortunate not to have to kind of experience some of that upheaval. So, so seven years of active duty service, roughly before you started to, you know, say, okay, what's going to be next, but you know, what are some of the highlights of, of, of your time serving? And you know, how did that kind of get you ready for business school? When did, when did business school start to percolate for you as a what's next? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, I did, uh, the first couple of years of my service was in Camp Pendleton um, in North County, San Diego, and it was a lot of training. And because of the specific specialty I had moved into, I didn't end up deploying to Afghanistan. I was kind of focused on amphibious operations. I mean, people talk about the Marine Corps and it brings to mind these people assaulting beaches and then everybody's like, well, that's not really what happens anymore. But that was literally my job was the guys who, who planned, organized and, and supported those, those amphibious assaults. And operations from the sea. So uh, that all kind of peaked for me when I got deployed on the 31st Marine Expeditionary Unit, which was based out of Okinawa, Japan. And I was on one of three Navy ships floating around in, in the Southeast and uh, Southeast Asia, being ready uh, for the call and contingency operations, humanitarian assistance, um, anything kind of that the uh, that, you know, you might expect Marines to be called to support in, in times of you know, kind of crisis situations. Um, and so going through that entire workup cycle, I had a group of 53 Marines that were, you know, directly kind of under my, my charge and, and the senior enlisted that were kind of my left and right hands um, that we trained them all the way up. We got to do that deployment for seven months, operate in our primary, um, you know, mission for existing in the Marine Corps, do the things that everybody always talks about for, for our specialty um and bring everybody home and you know kind of have good experience from from that mission and then uh you know so that was one peak for sure being a platoon commander is something everybody who's a marine talks about is just like you know formative experiences um and then my second duty station in 49 palms california at the marine air ground combat center was a really really fun job um you know you never really know what you're going to get thrown at you and i didn't have the expectations that this was going to be as, as much fun or as rewarding a job as it ended up being. But I got to, you know, be tasked with a unit that was responsible for organizing the Marine Corps premier live fire training exercise. So we would take units from all over the country and kind of work them through some, some basic kind of, you know, exercises to, to get them comfortable with the live fire environment and then spend 35 days out with them in the desert. Um, you know, doing really exciting, you know, mechanized warfare, chasing tanks who are, you know, kind of firing on steel hulks and live aircraft ordnance and artillery. It was like the best job. If you like think of like, what can, what do you get to do as a Marine? That was the place I got to do it all. Um, so two definite peaks for sure. You know, to get your footing, to establish yourself, to succeed and excel is such a, disciplined and unique you know it's just it doesn't compare to anything else in life particularly maybe training for the olympics or something but it's a very not everyone walks that walk right and then you know somewhere along the way you say am i going to do this for 20 years or am i not so how, how did that evolve and, and when did you know maybe an mba how did that start to happen for you yeah, great point. I'm sorry I didn't get to that. I was kind of caught up talking about the things that I had so much fun doing. 
Um, some of the things that weren't as much fun when I was doing that job in 29 Palms, my wife was living in Los Angeles. And so for three years, I would kind of run out to the coast and see her on a, a weekend and then, you know, or maybe two weekends in a row and then have to go back out to the desert for a month. Um, and so that, that was not our favorite time. It was, you know, it was a great professional opportunity for her and for me, but sustainability for the family wasn't, you know, it wasn't you know, going to work forever. And at, at a certain point, I realized that that conflict of like where my jobs were going to take me and where her opportunities were was always going to exist. And so it, it just was a decision to, you know, kind of go in a different direction for the family. Um, and I had known a number of different um, people who, you know, were in the same kind of shoes as I was who, who started to look at grad school. And part of being an officer is, is giving you know, a lot of time and effort to making sure that when your Marines separate, they have a plan and they know what they're going to do um, with their career and how they're going to use their um, congressionally, you know, established um, GI Bill benefits. And so having done that with a number of the enlisted Marines that worked for me, I was like, all right, I'm going to go find a way to use my GI Bill. Um, I gained an appreciation for adult education as an instructor when I was out there in 29 Palms as well. So I definitely, you know, have always had a, a strong um, belief in the value of education. It probably goes back to, you know, my mom being a teacher too. Um, so the grad school thing made sense to me at the time. And then as I started to look into what I was interested in and kind of where I thought I could leverage some of my skills, um, I recognized management programs as something that, okay, I can at least, um, rely on some of my experiences to kind of set me up for, um, you know, future positions of being potentially, you know, a good manager. I've learned managing, I think is one of those things you learn a hard, a lot of hard lessons. So doing it, um, kind of exposes to you where you're strong and where you're weak and lets you get better. And so I wanted to find a way to keep doing things like that and being in a position of management. So that was sort of the impetuous to be school. And I didn't really, you know, I thought a lot about my path, um, that would, you know, kind of, I walked before I got there, but what I was going to do after was still kind of a black box to me. Um, and that's something that I think the FEMBA program has done a great job of kind of, all right, we will help you find the way, you know, like there's a lot of resources here for people who, um, kind of recognize some areas and skills that they have, but don't know exactly how to apply them. Before we get into that. So what was your wife's career? What was she pursuing? Yeah, so I, I always kind of highlight, so I was an international affairs major, she was an international affairs major at Marquette, um, but she's one of those like unicorns where she's actually doing an international affairs job. I feel like it's it's not that often you hear that, that kind of path. So she works for a company called Everbridge right now, and they, um, it was a different company at the time she started, but they, they got acquired, now they're part of Everbridge. And it's a real-time information and crisis reporting um, company. So they aggregate a lot of um, open source information, and then they provide that information to clients, large institutions, banks, um, schools like UCLA, when people have to do mass notifications or they've got people traveling around the world and you want to let somebody know that there's a protest or a road closure or a significant event, uh, weather kind of, uh, that's, that's what her company does. And she specifically is the international intelligence manager. So she works with all of their international source development 
um, kind of working to help the, the IT guys uh, and the developers, you know, may maximize the value of the tools that they're kind of aggregating all the international information. That's awesome. So you guys, you met in high school, you had the same major. That's so cool. <laughs> I love it. The, yeah. the I can't say that most of the things I do are, are particularly original. She's usually the one leading the way on a lot of stuff that, that puts us in, in the positions to be, you know, kind of as fortunate as we are now. So she's been a, a huge part of my success all the way through for sure. Oh, that's awesome. I'm a huge fan of Mary Unicorn. <laughs> I married one also in my not unbiased opinion. I am blessed. Um, you know, partnership is incredible. And before now, but also I'm, I'm staring at your resume, which is a really shiny resume. You you did pick up an additional master's degree before Anderson, right? So Embry Riddle, that was a great school, an MS in management in global mm -hmm. business. So yeah, so while I was doing the job out in Twenty Nine Palms, um, you know, and I didn't have my significant other to go go home to every night, I sort of thought to myself, I need to use this time in a beneficial way. I can either read a lot of books and watch, stream a lot of, uh, you know, content, or I can start advancing myself if I'm going to someday, you know, get out of the Marine Corps. So uh, I did an online degree program with Embry-Riddle, and it definitely opened my eyes to kind of how um, international supply chain management um, and, uh, and also reinforce the fact that, okay, I like these things. They're interesting, but I know I need more education to really be successful in this arena. Um, so yeah, that was a great kind of, I don't know, ramping back up into academia, understanding kind of what it takes to go back to school uh, part-time and then, um, you know, helped build out the resume to show UCLA that I, I can do it. And I'm, I'm uh, somebody that they should bring on board. Mm -hmm. To me, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of hearing your intuition and you're, and you're putting your actions against it. And this is where we get to enter the picture. So did you know alumni from UCLA, website, friends of friends, you know, rankings? What, what, was, what was it that, that got us on your choice group and how did that journey begin for you? So um, obviously, you know, great program. It, has, it shows really well in all the, the rankings. But for me, geography was really important. So, I, I mean, I was coming to the west coast um you know i mckenzie was already working out here and and la was was the target so applied to ucla usc ended up getting to both and and ucla was the way i ultimately decided to go um you know, a couple of the things that i thought um, would be really strong areas of industry in la were well represented at the the mba program at anderson um, and i also you know, it kind of followed with some of my club decisions when I got to the program as well. So, uh, and, and additionally through the admissions process, you know, you get to know kind of the character of an institution because you're interacting with a few people who are representatives and people like you um, that were, were great ambassadors for the program when you're going through and trying to decide where you want to go. Well, thank you. That's, yeah, that's my job. I get to be a, I get to be a cheerleader and I like it, right? You know. The, the younger George Bush was a cheerleader at Yale. You know, there's something about, I don't know, everybody's got to find their lane, but I, I like getting excited about stuff. And I love getting excited about stuff that if you are then also excited about whatever it is actually gets bigger. And that to me is the, that's the opportunity. Like, so you, you know, new admits, you know, welcome to UCLA. Yes, 
but like I, my observation of Anderson is our strength is how entrepreneurial we are, but our weakness is how entrepreneurial we are. You really got to put your big person pants on because there's so much happening. If you don't have a little bit of grit, it can just be too much. You know, this is kind of a build your own adventure type environment in my observation. And again, I, I have the luxury, I get to have all these top 10% outcome interviews all the time. And it, it, you know, the other 90% of people, they create great results also, but I'm trying to point people towards things that any one of us can, we, we, we have different brains, we have different everything, right? Different interests, we're different human beings, but there, and there's so much we cannot control, but the things we can control, daily discipline, setting goals, looking at a landscape of opportunity and saying, I want to aim at finance. I want to aim at real estate. I want to aim at international business, global supply chain management. Like, so it's this wonderful choice group. And then Rob walks in the door and okay, you know, they, they told me there was a lot of opportunity here. Now I got to narrow that down, select, you know, cause time's going to be precious. So, you know, this is me just talking to people listening here who are literally orienting themselves to maximize, you know, this is a good experience. We want it to be great, right? Let's take a good trajectory and have it be a great trajectory. So one of the things that, uh, that goes along with what you're saying, Dylan, that I don't think I knew when I actually, you know, enrolled, but was definitely important for me along the journey was that the three-year program the FEMBA offers has a little bit more time built into it. If you're kind of rough around the edges, like I was to kind of refine where you want to end up at the end. Um, so just just having that extra opportunity and time to explore a number of different industries um, that you know Anderson is so deeply connected to allowed me to kind of really cement my future decision and direction. Okay, cool. So, so now there's two things, because I've got a note back here on, we will help you find your way, because I want, I want to hear what that was for you. Now, mm -hmm. like, okay, so rough around the edges, like, what is that? Like how, how did you determine that you were rough around the edges? Like what, what, it, what was it that you saw that was rough and then how did you polish that? So let's mm -hmm. start with the rough around the edges part. Yeah, I think it, it, for me, it was some things that are, you know, overlooked by a lot of people in, in, you know, the standard workforce that you just don't practice in the military. So even during the MBA admissions interview process, I recognized that, oh, I haven't, spent a lot of time thinking about how to clearly and concisely articulate where I've come from, why I'm here and what I want to achieve, because it just wasn't part of the, the process. Your, your paperwork and the things that you did and really the outcomes you drove for the people that you, know, you worked with was what kind of put you in different positions in the Marine Corps. And that's just not always the case. Um, and, and, and so I needed to polish how I interviewed, how I spoke about myself, how I spoke in general, um, and then kind of articulating those skills like I talked about that I knew I had, um, but it wasn't clear to me how I was going to uh, bring value to, to a future employer. That was, those are things that I would certainly say I was rough on initially. And, and it is a, the, the opportunity of the third year, right? Because a lot of people who, you know, are looking at Anderson, ah, keep my job, quit my job, keep my job, quit my job, right? The full-time FEMBA fork in the road. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes three years can be intimidating. Oh my God, three years, that's like law school, it's forever. 
except every time I talk to people, it's like, yeah, it seems that way. But then once you're in it, it moves along with velocity. And that third year can actually become a benefit because there is a little bit of white space to explore, um, you know, open, open tabula rasa, you know, because you don't have to be competitively successfully interviewing for summer internship six weeks into the program when you're in February, you have, you have a little bit longer on ramp. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely my experience. And, you know, it was, uh, I started out the program working basically part-time with the reserves and, you know, sort of figuring out what my life was going to be like as a mostly civilian. Um, and then about six months in, I started to realize, look, I, I'm, I need to start doing more work and more preparation if I want to successfully recruit for investment banking. And that's kind of what drove me to, to find an academic internship in, uh, in the spring, kind of like bridge between winter and spring quarters of, uh, of my first year. And when did, okay, so two things about that. So one is the domain, you're, you're, you're figuring out finance, you're interested in finance, and then two, the timing, because that's a non-typical internship timing. So, mm -hmm. but, but you're still, you're actually, that's actually kind of a short timetable because that's, that's all in your first couple of quarters. So mm -hmm. when did, because international affairs, yeah, I don't exactly see finance in your prior degrees. Like, so how was finance calling to you? How'd you get interested in that first? Sure. So one of the highlights of the, you know, my FEMBA experience was the initial club fair that happened in, I want to say end of July, maybe early August. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of they, they array all these different student organizations and you're going to talk to people who are not professors or not, you know, alumni, but students who are a year or two years ahead of you and kind of can really speak to the journey. And so at that club fair, you see a thousand different things. And I would say that you know, I, I sort of gravitated towards things I thought would be strong in LA. So I joined the Entertainment Management Association. I joined the IFA. Um, I saw some fellow veterans. I joined the um, Anderson Veterans Association. And then uh, my wife who came with me to that club fair got the, the significant other pitch from the wine club. So we also joined the wine club as a, as a way to kind of like make and meet new people um, in the MBA experience. And I would say I would even have joined more if I could do it all over again, because again, just getting the chance to go to those different club events brought, brought a lot of exposure to me and what these industries are like, what I thought I could you know do well in or what didn't appeal to me even. Um, and, you know, the, there's always an opportunity to whittle down kind of your commitments and clubs. But I feel like if you're like me, you're never going to add more clubs later on if, you know, you already have, oh, I'm, I'm participating in some things, right? Um, so IFA and the Anderson Veterans Association did a joint event and brought on board a fellow Marine who's an investment banker. And he spoke to the group of us and kind of you know, his, his major takeaway was if I can do it, you can do it. And, you know, this is the lifestyle and, and here's how it relates to kind of some things that you're familiar to from the Marine Corps or from military experience in general. So that sparked the interest. Um, and then there's a great opportunity throughout Anderson, not just in your first year, but um, it to kind of like expose yourself to what these jobs are like through case competitions. And so with never having taken, I was still enrolled in my initial accounting class, hadn't taken um, foundations of finance yet, 
um, a couple of fellow section three students and I signed up to do the investment banking pitch case comp um, and got, you know, felt like we were underwater on that, that first time going through and building a deck and trying to value a company with none of those, those like classic tools that you would have later on in your MBA experience, but found out, okay, I may not know the exact technical skills or the ways to go about doing this yet, but I do like this, this intellectual exercise. Um, and so after doing that, recognize that, okay, first, I've got to learn the skills through my academic coursework at Anderson. And then second, I've got to, you know, put together a resume that will convince somebody in the industry that I'm committed and interested, uh, an interesting hire, right? And so that's what led to my academic internship in my first year. Well, and again, for people who are listening, uh, so a couple things, you know, we have three types of clubs. We have professional clubs. We have um, shared background or common background clubs, and we have uh, social clubs, right? So, you know, you can mix and match and you hear, you know, like um, IFA, ABA, then they all have acronyms and nicknames, but you'll learn all that. But you're choosing. And then if you are, if you got a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, bringing them along for the ride, that's, that's cool, right? McKinsey gets little value out of this too. Sounds like she's kind of a cool person. She could probably handle herself at a cocktail party, right? Like all that, you know, that's, that's the culture of Anderson. So highlighting that and then cross-referencing that with, you know, what then opens up at a joint hosted event where you see someone military into finance, there's some commonality. Oh, I mm-hmm. could do that. That's great. You know, the shared storytelling, giving you a pathway. I like this leaping into a case competition during core courses, right? Like I know I'm going to have some skills to do these. I don't have them yet, but right. as an intellectual exercise. So all of that kind of going back to your self description of, hey, I need a little polish, right? And we all have a version of that, imposter syndrome, whatever. You know, it's like business school is intimidating because it seems like everybody's got to figure it out. They don't. It just seems like that. And then each of us chooses elements of business school uniquely that call to us. Toastmasters for public speaking, et cetera, for et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't do everything, but you pick some things and it gets you in motion and it gets you, it's a complement to the in-class experience and it's highly valuable as is also the in-class experience and all of that comes together. So I just wanted to highlight your proactivity and your proactivity against your commitment to, oh, I need to, I need to up my game here. Right. My, my resume has got to look a certain way. I got to I got to sell myself. This is not just I show up with my dossier of what my prior assignments were. and People know where to place me. It's not a military walk up. It's it's you know, it's it's corporate. It's different. It's it's a little more bendy flexy. And there is an etiquette to it. And there are definitely. Things to learn from our career services team, et cetera. There's the MBA courtship. You know, how do I present myself such that someone can see me in the role, even if I've not had the role yet, but I aspire into the role. So I just wanted to put some light against your story for those listening who are like, okay, I want to do what he did. How did he do it? So you hear, you know, you hear some honest assessment of where I am. I'm not perfect. I'm here for a reason. I'm here to grow and development. If I knew this already, I wouldn't be here, you know, where, and then where are the opportunities and then just, you know, like get some friends, jump in, you know, learn as we go. Yeah, I think that because said doing that case comp, like you pointed to that example, with no expectation of winning, it was not about, you know, oh, I'm going to solve all my future problems with this one, you know, exercise. 
but it was a chance to keep moving the ball forward. And that's something that the Marine Corps is like very big about is you never arrived. You always have to look for continued operate, you know, opportunities to learn and get better. And, you know, just seizing those is, is I think a hard part because everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be good and present very well, especially in that first year of business school, you're worried about putting your foot in your mouth or, or looking like you don't belong. And I think that uh, the sooner you kind of get uncomfortable, the more you realize that, you know, you do belong because you're willing to put yourself in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it takes courage to apply to grad school. It takes more courage to accept it takes a hell of a lot more courage to show up and do it. And it was designed to be rigorous and relevant. Our Margaret She, our prior senior associate dean, she always said, this is grad school, it's not undergrad. It's designed to be a legitimate stair step. It's not incremental, mm -hmm. it is a stair step. So, you know, again, bringing your big person pants to the game, right? I'm in the big city now, but that's okay. They didn't admit me on accident, I'm supposed to be here. You mm -hmm. know, and, and a little bit of that self-talk or a lot of that self-talk. And then I love, you know, growth mindset. You know, the, the Marine version of it, Look for the opportunity. Look, look for the. You know, there's always something in the field in front of me where I can go and have a better chance of success, and I want to train myself to find that. Especially, you know, in a military situation, you're leading people' lives are on the line. It's a mission critical thing. But in business, right? People's jobs, people's careers, people are trusting you. Your ability to survey an ambiguous landscape and identify opportunity. That's what an MBA. You know, it's it. That's the superpower of an MBA. Is I can see a pathway. Where other people just see challenge. Mm -hmm. So, but and the challenge that you know you you brought up Dean Shi and kind of that perspective about it being a legitimate jump in in kind of you know a lot of ways. Um, you know, it sounds like things all lined up perfectly that first year for me, and I was doing all this stuff. Uh, and but you know, it one of my challenges that first year breakdown, if you will, was um, kind of Anderson's an academically challenging place. It's not just oh it's all in the syllabus and and you know you're going to do great i really you know kind of didn't do great on my uh manager economics midterm that that first year because i didn't put enough effort into expanding my understanding of the course concepts i was just kind of going wrote off the book in the the syllabus um so that's something i think that you know everybody learns at some point in their their mba career for me it happened early that hey this is it's an academically rigorous place just like you were saying dean she brings up yeah yeah i got a c in econ my fall quarter at chicago i had never made a c before and uh i spent i spent all of winter break thinking that they were gonna kick me out <laughs> i literally i went back home yeah this is pre-internet this is stone ages right it was the winter of 93 but i i thought i was gonna go back to chicago and they were gonna say sorry you gotta have a 3.0 to stay in grad school and uh it really stressed me out Heaven forbid I pick up the phone and call somebody. I did not do that. I just suffered for three weeks. Um, but, you know, I got my act together. And, and, you know, and again, I was a history major. So this was new material. So for those of you who are liberal artists, you haven't exactly seen this the same way business and econ undergrads have seen it. So a lot of it is just giving yourself permission to not be the smartest person in every class. Don't quit, you know, and then notice, okay, what was my study habit? So thank you for sharing that. Because I think you learn a lot from a breakdown. So I, I was kind of going through wrote you know but not really going deeper with you know what is the mm -hmm. underlying master's level knowledge that i need to acquire from a survey foundational first year course in economics i mean that think about like this is this is economics in 10 weeks to serve you for the next 30 years right mm -hmm. like that's what the faculty are trying to accomplish in the core courses is 
give you enough for three decades worth of high impact thinking about yeah. how economics drives things, right? So that, yeah, so there, that was your stair step up, right? Did it get a little mm -hmm. better after that? Were you able to kind of adjust your study habits? I think, um, yeah, I, I study habits was part of it. Uh, I also really had a great opportunity to, you know, leverage co, you know, peers, classmates, you know, I would say like co-learning group members, um, their, their experiences and, and work in team environments and, and sort of, okay, someone's doing something over there that looks really smart. I should start, you know, taking notes that way or, or, you know, whatever is working for me or isn't working for me, I might need to talk about somebody, you know, who's sitting next to you or in class or, or kind of on the Zoom with you, I guess, nowadays. Um, so that was sort of a little bit of learning there. Um, and I also think Anderson kind of lays the groundwork for you and shows you how to go about setting your academics calendar up in a way that works um, by pairing sort of more qualitative and quantitative classes, uh, you know, instead of trying to double up on one or the other where you're going to do too much of one thing and not, not be in balance. So I sort of kept that mentality as I, I scheduled my electives throughout the rest of my time at Anderson. Great. Excellent. And I don't think we really said, so the, the internship that you did was that was at the Pacific gate capital. Experience? Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, I worked with, uh, the, some principals at a first-time startup um, private debt fund up in Pasadena, Pacific Gate Capital Management. And so similar to learning about how, okay, I need to learn how to interview a little bit better. I found a, a posting on Anderson's My Career site and, and applied over the winter quarter. And they called me up and uh, ultimately decided they were going to hire a couple of interns from Penn uh, and Wharton uh, for their paid positions. But because I was local and I, you know, expressed a sincere interest um, in, in learning about finance, and I sent a handwritten thank you card to the, the principal who interviewed me, um, they said, well, you know, we can't offer you a paid position right now because you don't have the experience base that will allow you to be really valuable, but we can bring you on and teach you some things at an unpaid um, status. And went there, worked every day with those guys um, for a few hours, went to my classes in the evenings, and kind of got to see side by side what, what that process is like of setting up your own fund. Um, and ultimately it turned into a paid position over that next summer um, and, and kind of taught me a lot of things some basics I needed to know about the world of finance. Nice. I love that. And there's, you know, that's for those of you listening, like, how do I make this happen? So I guess because of your reserve status, you had the flexibility because of and your, that supportive uh, spouse that we talked about earlier, you know, uh, it's always good to have a partner that can can help you make uh, unpaid internships work when you need them. Exactly right. Yes, yes. Seriously, like setting up your support network. So for you, it's McKinsey. For other people, it could be mom and dad. It could be family, brother, sister, roommates. You know, executives have a board. You know, that's we're, we're CEO. Once you get admitted to FEMBA, you're CEO of your own life right? You're in charge. And what does a CEO do? A CEO surrounds him or herself with trusted advisors and, and people for whom this person shall not fail, right? And so you need to build that out. And you did build that out. And then, you know, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of humility. Okay, I'm, I'm not getting the paid gig right now, but I am getting my foot in the door. I'm getting the repetitions. I'm introducing myself to the conversation. And, and again, for you as a, as a military transition switcher person, 
right? You're putting it on your resume. And you, you said about the other podcasts you listen to, Doug Longo about his military Marine story. He also dimensional fund advisors. He also, you know, went from military into finance, uh, but also Barry Ripley, who was a engineer at Northrop. Barry did an unpaid internship in Australia. <laughs> he did that in his first summer, which then gave him the credibility to get a paid internship his second summer up in San Francisco, which ultimately sprung him into investment banking. So those of you out there listening now, like, oh my God, I'm going to Anderson. I want to do iBanking. These things are eye banking and consulting. The high competitive MBA outcome results are highly competitive within Anderson, but across the top 10 schools, right? So you're not just competing with smart people in the other building locally at Anderson, but you're competing with Penn, with Chicago, with you know the world of, of the best schools who really like to focus on finance, for instance. Of course, we're the best mm -hmm. on the West Coast, so you got to put in the door if you're looking for LA. But you know, it, it, like just to get your expectations set, like listen to what Rob did. You know, this, you know, like, hey, honey, I'm working now. Great. Are we rich? Can we buy an island? No, no, no. This is called an unpaid internship. What? <laughs> work out, right? Like, but but that's the reality of earning. You know, like earning your your spot. In a, in a big competitive city, you know, one of the top cities in the world, Los Angeles, you know, if you compete here or San Francisco or New York, it's the same dynamic in any of the most desired cities in the world. So I just, again, the spotlight, because what Rob did, any of us can do if we're willing to do what Rob did, <laughs> right? And a huge benefit of the FEMBA program as well is that, you know, you have that flexibility to kind of do things during the day that you may not otherwise in a, in a different program. So when, when, certain employers or they're trying to fill a, an intern position and they hear I can have an MBA during the day, during the school year. Heck yeah. I'll, I'll bring that guy on board and, and teach him some skills and we'll find out if it works as a mutual fit. So that's, so, so it was, that's just, that's great. So, and, and did that, did you go to them for two internships or one? I'm sorry. I'm misunderstanding. It was essentially one, one continuous, yeah. So I started out uh, um, unpaid and then just extended into a paid role over the next course of the summer. Um, and then leading up into the investment banking recruiting cycle, I, you know, told them, hey, I can do some project work, and but I can't be here full time because I gotta be at Anderson all day, every day to to recruit for investment banking. Very okay, very great. All right, and then with with Barclays, where you're going now, so you were a summer associate. In the summer of 19. Okay, so so your your Pacific Gate really kind of set the stage for that. Is that accurate to say, or you were able to leverage it at least? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. During the uh, during the recruiting process, you know, just having some things I you know really knew well. I could talk about the private debt market. I could, you know, explain how I had worked with investment banking, you know, former principals and they their expectation of the work product. All of that really set me up in the interview process for the, the summer associate position um, and then going to a place like Barclays where they expect you know when they bring you on for us you know an internship position that it's going to convert into full-time and they kind of approach it with the mentality that this is really your full-time offer to kind of like you know gain or lose advice you know where that's where they recruit from they the uh, 
Uh, I was on a call earlier today and the global head of investment banking at Barclays phrased it really well. He says Barclays likes to grow through the draft, you know, that they're bringing their people back if, if at all possible. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of how that became, you know, internship to full-time position. Very nice. Now, you know, there's a certain kind of stress with that. Oh, I landed the internship, but this is really like my tryout, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost like it's mine to lose, you know, and I don't know which is more stressful. Like I, I, I've got it and I could lose it or I don't have it and I might get it right. There's, it's a different, they're both stressful for different ways. Like how did you, how did you get your game face on for that opportunity? Like what was your self-talk going into that summer experience or that summer internship? Um, it, being able to kind of leverage the Anderson alumni network and, and being able to call on people who've been through that. And even I have a lot of other Anderson grads in the office I work at. And so uh, knowing that people here really do believe the sharing success thing, it's not a simply lip service slogan. Um, you know, the, the admissions has been looking for people with that kind of value for a long time. And everybody I've run across from the staff, faculty, fellow students, and then the alumni that I worked with at Barclays believed in that. Um, so I didn't find, even though the process was stressful, it's you know you're you're worried and you're you're in a ten week interview aspect. Um, I, I felt really comfortable going to those those Anderson grads and saying, hey, this is something I'm not quite sure I'm doing correctly. Can you guide me? Um, and you know, I think having the humility to ask for for help really let me be successful because um going in somewhere that you have never experienced before and um you know are still learning the tools to be successful in um don't ask for help i think is when you really find yourself in in trouble very great very great and again you know work habits can be learned i can be proud of my accomplishments while at the same time being humble enough to know I'm, I'm in a new game. I'm in a learning mode. I, I'm, I'm actively seeking. And I, I love that. You know, you, how do you deal with the stress? How do you get your game face? I talk to alumni, right? That's a very proactive move. Pro tip, pro tip from Rob, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, and it, and it worked for you. And, and, and in, another thing people, you know, are, there's, there's kind of the allure of iBanking and consulting, focusing on iBanking. So, what was what was the internship like what was it like were they 80 hour weeks or not or you know what's what's the culture of barclays like uh you know i think it's everything is project based and i was fortunate to be there in a summer where we had a lot of projects so there were some of those 80 hour weeks um but i think being in that type of challenging environment lets you really assess what the lifestyle is going to be like and so i'm happy that that was what my internship was because now there's nothing nothing's going to surprise me when i go back. i mean obviously there's lots to learn 10 weeks is only so much experience there will definitely be surprises but i feel like i got as much of an insight into what the the full-time life will be like as possible um so yeah that it was it was a lot but um you know if you look at it from the perspective that if you're you know looking for repetitions and you're iterating your own personal process um, i think you want to be in a place where you get a lot up front because you can kind of move up the learning curve um, faster that way very nice very nice yes and it is it is a it's a two-way exchange of information barclays is learning about rob rob is learning about barclays and if it's a fit then it's a good fit and if it's not you know then it was a learning opportunity and you know you don't want to go sign on for someplace if, if it's not a fit because 
you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, that's a lot of your life, right? So it's good to go in there. This is who I am. You know, this is my best effort. You know, who I am with my best effort, do I match what you're about, right? Mm -hmm. They want to hire a person who's going to win and you want to say yes to a company who's going to have you win, right? That kind of. And going back to what your point about, you know, things that helped you prepare. It wasn't, uh, you know, just, hey, I'm going to ask people when I get there on the job. I think a couple other things that were highlights of the Anderson experience that helped me get ready for that was uh, I participated in the mentorship program that the Center for Global Management puts together. And I was paired with uh, one of their board of directors, Joseph Berrigan, and he was a longtime investment banker. So you know, that, that mentorship started about... Um, probably four months before my start date at Barclays, before I even knew I had a, a summer internship offer and kind of built a relationship with him. And then as I was going through the intern, the, uh, you know, internship recruiting process, you know, kind of touching base with someone who lived through it and, and had a whole career there was really helpful. And then uh, being part of the Anderson, um, the FACT program, the FEMBA Anderson career team, that's a student support for career switchers. And it was really really influential in me, you know, getting that initial opportunity to show Barclays that I could do the job there. They helped set you up for the entire recruiting process. And then um, next, you know, the following year, I guess the fall quarter of my, my final year, I was back helping give back to that uh, same fact program, which, you know, if having done similar things, being a platform instructor and kind of helping you know, mentor and coach people in the Marine Corps, I was really comfortable kind of going back into that and realizing like, hey, this this was great for me. So I want to spend a lot of time and effort here in my final year giving back to that program. And yeah, just keep shouting out the Barry Ripley interview, but, you know, and it's a four-year-old interview, but one of the things that Barry Ripley was, was a pioneer with the Parker CMC. He was, he really worked with Assistant Dean Regina Ragazzi to create FACT, because there was ACT, there were Anderson career teams, and then it's like, well, let's have a FEMBA Anderson career team. And he was, he, he donated a lot of his free time, his third year after his second summer internship to really get a FEMBA representation of that healthy pathway of pay it forward. I've had it, I've had an internship. Let me tell you what to expect. It's fresh on my mind. I just did it three months ago. You're gonna do it next summer getting that knowledge transfer architecture like hardwired into the into the Anderson environment specifically for FEMBAs who just have different they just have a different rhythm and a different set of constraints because they're you know still employed contrasted to the rhythm of our full-time students who are you know not working during the the three quarters fall winter spring um, and we definitely stand on the shoulders of of people like Barry, and then you really go through, and it refreshes every year as well. Because the people that are going to have a summer internship this year through a virtual environment are going to have a totally different experience than I did, and they're going to be able to kind of then reshape the curriculum and help people kind of prepare for that possible eventual you know situation. Um, so the it's a living program, and and that's that's great. You were also highly participating in the the global immersions. So we got a couple of those to highlight. I, I want to hear about your gap story also, because in addition to checking the box of career growth and hitting the hitting the brass ring on that, you were also taking advantage of the academic experiential component very much that FEMBA has to offer. So um, any highlights from either your trip to Austria, the Czech Republic, or your Finland, Sweden trip, or both? 
Well, I mean, the Center for Global Management has so many great things, and I should have brought it up in one of the you know, things that was attracting me initially to Anderson was their, the really deep um, international business relationships that the school has and, and kind of how seriously um, even the FEMA program takes that. Uh, if you look at um, the different opportunities that are available to you, the, the, internet, the immersion trips, you know, I don't think there's any way to get the type of access that we got to companies around the world, whether it was in Austria, the Czech Republic, or, or Finland or Sweden, um, to see kind of behind the scenes of how they do business and pick up best practices, and then also understand the cultural context of doing business in different parts of the world. Um, and then forming relationships and kind of traveling with your fellow students. I didn't have the opportunity to uh, do a study abroad when I was at Marquette because of my NROTC commitments. And so I knew that was something I really, really wanted to make sure I made a part of my business school experience. And yeah, you, you can't describe in, in you know, enough detail how you, know, you can really get to know people when you're traveling for um, you know, a week on end in a different country. So some of my People that were already friends, um, you know, became really, really, really close friends after spending time with them on trips. And people I, I didn't have as much exposure to before because we were in different sections or for whatever reasons, we just hadn't worked together. You know, you kind of really, that period of time can really make relationships that will stay for a long, long time. Um, and then you brought up the, the New Zealand experience. I, my, my GAP team was paired with a company that was based out of Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be one of the people that got to go travel to their company headquarters to, to work on the project. Um, and I, I know um, there's a lot of opportunities for different thesis process, you know, projects at Anderson. Um, and, you know, because I had a full-time or I had a, not a full-time, a summer investment banking internship through OCR, I had an opportunity to kind of reschedule my thesis project. But I really wanted to do GAP because of the experience that you, know, you got to work with an international company and see a, a consulting project from start to finish. Um, and Barclays was supportive of that. I, I had you know a couple of evenings where I had to hop on calls uh, in New Zealand while I was still still there in the office and go back to work right after I finished. And um, you know again relying on Anderson alums to give you the thumbs up to. You know, all right, uh, I'm going to be gone one Saturday during my, my summer internship. I'm going to be at a uh, company launch um, back up at Anderson. Is that, is that, you know, okay? And yes, they, they gave me the thumbs up. So that, that experience, you know, was, was huge and, you know, not something I think everybody really can execute as well as Anderson does. You know, I'm CEO of my own life. I'm in the boardroom making big decisions. Nothing's ever going to be just straight and easy. Right. That's part of developing that executive presence is everything can be created. If I can hear the concerns of the relevant parties, I can address those concerns. I can articulate my own concerns and it's a win-win outcome when it's a win-win outcome when it's a win-win outcome. Right. So that's what a modern business leader becomes masterful at achieving. Right. It's a complex multi-stakeholder environment. So we need to bring all those concerns up on the table and then wrestle with that until we get to a win-win contrasted to a win-lose. That's really, I love that. You know, you really wanted Gap because, but where, where was Barclays, the summer internship? Was it in Los Angeles or? It was here in LA. So it, they, you know, it wasn't like I had to fly across the country to get back for company launch. It was just up the street from Century City, but uh, yeah. And again, if you're a new admit, these are all choices you'll make 18 months from now. 
because we also have the business creation option. If you know you're going to do an internship in Chicago, in New York, you know, maybe the global access program doesn't match for you, or maybe you can make it work. And, you know, what we're learning from COVID right now is there's, there's a lot of ways to make things work. You know, even, even now, I think gap has already been hybridized since forever. Gap already is, you know, much of it is self-paced and with a few plenary, the company launch weekend you referred to. You know, that brings up, we've talked a lot about the great things and the great opportunities that Anderson has, but um, one of the biggest challenges that I know I ran up against and most of the FEMBAs that uh, I've, you know, kind of come along the process with also ran up against was just the challenge of balancing all these different commitments. Yeah. So at some point you're going to feel overloaded um, and you're going to feel like, well, I have gap, I have this internship, I'm supposed to be, you know, having some type of relationship with family and friends. I'm, you know, trying to figure out where my coursework is going to take me. I think that's, if you know that that's going to be hard coming in, at least you can prepare yourself for it. And my recommendation for that difficulty as part of being a FEMBA is just sign up for and push yourself to the point where you feel like you're overcommitted. Because if you're not, then that's that part of it. You're not, you know, really experiencing the same FEMBA experience that most people do. You, you, everybody's going to be really, really busy. And then once you feel you're at that overcommitted point, you can be honest with yourself and your teammates and kind of tweak what you can deliver and when and where you need to pair back. Um, but there's so many great things that, you know, letting case competitions or pro bono consulting or volunteering or international trips kind of go by the wayside because you're too busy is it's uh you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. So. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's you, you one metaphor is, FEMBA is, is like a, it's a, it's a promotion. You know, I've, I've gone from being the director of my life to being the CEO of my life, right? It's a stair-step promotion. And what does a CEO spend the rest of their life doing? Deciding between doing and delegating, right? Like what, what am I uniquely gifted at contrasted to the hundred things that I'm okay at, but I want to delegate away. And everybody wants a piece of you once you become a C-suite player in your own life. Obviously, McKinsey merits your time. You know, she got you this far. You're in it for the long haul. You know, your parents, your brother, your, you know, your siblings, you're like, we have pre-existing friends and family. We want to nurture that because those are the people who nurture us. So you can't, mm -hmm. Professor Sarin says there's three balls that you juggle. One of them is made of glass, right? <laughs> you know, and that your family and friendship, that that's made of glass. So don't drop that ball. Career and school, those balls are made of rubber. You're juggling them, but you can drop school for a week and then you can pick it back up and the world doesn't end. You can drop a career moment if you do it smartly and the world doesn't end. But, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice the people who got me here, right? They're still going to be my family and friends when I'm done with FEMBA, even if my time is constrained. So, so going into it with that, that kind of mindset, you're setting yourself up to win even when it gets challenging. I love that, you know, like go ahead and push yourself to the edge, find out where that edge is, humbly say, okay, guys, right? Okay, I thought I could do everything, I can't. You know, how do we modify? How do we reset? One of my mentors, you know, if you never get out of balance, how do you know what balance is, right? We find balance by purposefully finding out of balance. That's how you learn mm -hmm. to fly a plane, that's learned how you learn to be a gymnast on the on the hobble horse, whatever, right? Like all of these things. And how do I be a long-term 
decades long-term CEO of my own career. And as much as it feels like it's a, you know, really long at times when you're part of it, you know, the, the opportunity of FEMBA will go by and be a finite period. And, um, you know, it's a little different from the work-life balance that you have to kind of sustain forever when you know, all right, this is my, my block, my chance to, to spend time and get as much out of this Anderson experience as I can. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say don't be, you, you, like you're saying, things are going to be a little out of balance. Don't be afraid of it and just be really smart about those payback things that, you know, hey, I, I haven't done the things I, you know, always said I was going to do at this point or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think that's something personally, Mackenzie and I learned from, you know, our time in the Marine Corps is, you know, there's times you're going to miss uh, important milestones or there's, there's things that you wish you could be there for, or, you know, even it's, hey, I, I want to do this happy hour, but there's this, this event and it's really, I think going to be a good opportunity to learn something about, you know, one of these different um, diverse groups that, that I haven't had a lot of exposure to before my time at Anderson. So I'm going to go and we'll catch it on the back end. And, you know, as long as you're open with that, I think you'll be fine. Now, did McKinsey ever travel with you on any of the trips? She did. So she uh, came along as a guest for the Austria and Czech Republic Global Immersion. And she made a lot of really close friendships with, uh, you know, both the guests and my fellow, uh, you know, people at Anderson during that trip. And then um, we were able to tie a little trip to Norway to the back end of my second global immersion when we went to Sweden and uh, Finland. So, you know, there was a, Hey, we worked really hard. I, I did this, this tough internship for the summer, but we'll, we'll make it up when we're um, traveling together in Europe or, or, you know, wherever you end up being able to travel in the future. That's nice. So, and again, this is a pro tip, how to survive FEMBA, right? Take care of the people who take care of you, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, you know, we, they can come also. And on these, on these incredible global immersions, um, and it's, it's a way to kind of pace this out, like, hey, let's do this December of year two. You know, it, let's break this three-year marathon into a couple of shorter sprints and, mm -hmm. and give yourself something to look forward to. And, and the, the husbands and wives, because I've been on a couple of the trips and, you know, the tag-alongs, they, they have a great time because they, they don't have to take an exam. <laughs> you know, they can shop, they can do the cultural stuff. Um, and sometimes they glom along for the corporate visits. It depends, you know. You know, each one, each trip has different kind of framings, but they're definitely invited. And it's a, it's a way to say, hey, thank you, special someone in my life for, you know, you know, we're in this together. Right. And, mm -hmm. and they get to they get to join with you. That's I love that. So so she got to go on. She actually went on both then. Yeah, she she was there for the group trip in, in on one of them. And then, like, you know, she was out there in Europe at the same time I was for the second one. Okay. Okay. And then, and then you just added a little Norway after, after visit. Did you see the fjords and stuff? Did you go do that or? Yeah, it was a, uh, it was an incredible experience. And I think, you know, uh, if you get the opportunity to travel enough and kind of get comfortable with renting a car and taking your own path and sort of, uh, you know, that's sort of where we are. So we had a, you know, started out in Bergen, rented a car, drove up uh, the coast and the fjords and then made our way down to Oslo and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little slower. You don't have quite the same, uh, expertise and tour guide or, or, you know, you're never quite sure where you're going to stop on the side of the road and have lunch, but 
it, it also allows you to kind of, you know, take a breather. And that's what we needed at that point in time. Oh, that's excellent. That's like, I love, I love Oslo. I love the, the Beagland Sculpture Garden. I got to see that once. Um, my mom and dad saw that when they were newlyweds. So I, I grew up hearing wow. this wonderful sculpture garden in Oslo. Any, any, any um, light you want to shine on the, the benefits of, you know, squeezing in the happy hours, even it seems like you should go home and sleep or something? Yeah, I think this, you know, it goes back to the, it's a period of time. And, and if you kind of embrace that, um, you know, there's everybody you're in class with, especially if you're, you know, regardless of whether you're a flexor or Saturday or um, Tuesday, Thursday, everybody's busy, but there's this really great opportunity that's set aside already for you. Um, and most people will bite off on the, all right, well, I know um, that this is going to be a chance to kind of make lifelong relationships because I've seen this person on the other side of the room, but we've never had a like face-to-face -face conversation. Um, and that's where you can go and kind of really um, make those connections. You know, each, each different FEMA cohort has their, their time and, um, you know, there's nothing stopping you from just going out to the Thursday happy hour. You can always swing by the flexor happy hour too and meet more people in that group. And I, I definitely would recommend, uh, you know, branching out besides just your, your section you start out with for sure. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. Yeah. You know, and same for some people it's like, well, no, 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 that, that part's easy. I'm definitely going to network, but I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you get busy and it, it can get squeezed out. Right. So. Um, exactly. It I, sounds easy until you sat in class for six hours straight or it's 930 on a Thursday, you know, so the best laid attentions. Oh, I'm going to go to everyone. I would say you know, no one can achieve that, but right. uh, make it a priority for sure. Yeah. Did you take classes in spring quarter? I did. Um, I actually kind of uh, took a few extra of my time in Anderson just because like, you know, I've mentioned before and I knew it was a time in my life, a period that wasn't always going to be available. So one of the things that I would say not everybody does or is aware of that you can continue to take past your 80 units and you can take classes outside of Anderson. I mean, the Anderson professors are amazing and there's a lot of things that, um, you know, no matter what, if you took every class at Anderson, you still have things you could learn, but UCLA is a world-class institution in its own right outside of the business school. Um, so if you've got a, you know, an itch to take a philosophy class or, or take a, an, an art class at the, you know, larger institution, that opportunity is available to you and you can take eight units and count it towards your MBA. Um, so I graduated in June, you know, and tried to get as many extra classes in as I could. Well, and anything, you know, especially for our, our incoming 2023s, because, you know, we're, we're doing our best to teach in person this fall with physical distancing. That's the 100% commitment from Dean Bernardo to Dean Fracious to everyone. And as long as the county lets us do it, we're going to give people the option to physically be here. Some people underlying health concerns are going to take advantage of 100% Zoom. Everybody's case will be different with the option. So you, you know, we're part of the crazy spring of 20, right? 10 days notice, hey, we're going remote, 100%. Any, any um, lessons learned from that quarter, you know, I, I don't know that people will actually have to do a 100% remote quarter, touch mm -hmm. wood, we'll see. But, but anything like that was a, that was an exercise in change adaptability, if ever there was one. What was, you know, what might be some takeaways from that that might benefit others from what you learned? Yeah. I mean, I would think that hopefully by fall, you know, none of these things are going to be as surprising as they were for us. And I think that was one of the bigger challenges was 
every week brought a new thing that you know was kind of like wow this is all happening now and we all have to keep adjusting um your professor's recommendations that you just have your zoom screen and maybe another tab where you're typing notes up was really really helpful for me the temptation to kind of like have multiple things going on because you can and you're in, your, in your, at a remote environment um, really makes the learning process a lot more difficult. Um, so that that took me a couple of weeks to figure out. But once I realized, okay, I need to really make this a commitment to this class and spend this time you know, with the professor and nothing else but whatever I'm taking notes on, um, that improved the experience for me dramatically. And, you know, the professors embraced trying to get better and be, you know, they, it's interesting to see people, you know, some of the, our teachers have taught the same classes in the same way for multiple years with obvious updates to material, but they're comfortable in that environment. Um, and to see them embrace the challenge of, okay, this didn't work this week, or I need a better, um, you know, setup that allows me to kind of, you know, cement these learning objectives was really exciting to see um, because you just, um, people rise to the challenge in ways that you never quite expect them to. So that was really rewarding just to, you know, put a positive spin on that, that period of time. You know, you took advantage of, of the above 80 units gets you to the finish line, but you can take classes above and beyond that, which was obviously the downside of COVID, no commencement. I mean, the downside is pretty obvious. And there was, there was the emergence of an upside that we didn't see coming. I think that the post-COVID reality because we basically liberalized the audit reality, which, mm -hmm. which, you know, gave people the exposure to, oh, there's those two or three electives that I didn't get to, you know, I couldn't squeeze them in. I got nine electives. They're kind of precious, mm -hmm. but I got 12 electives I want to take. So I think this is Dylan. I'm not making a promise, but my observation, when I, when I listen to the faculty conversations, I think that's going to be a lasting impact benefit from the learning of, COVID spring quarter 2020. All right, That's so we right. haven't shown pictures yet. There's two things, we got we got your pictures, we wanna cue those up and show those kind of a, a visual walk through some of the faces that you've been hearing about. And then this last one, um, and I, you can do this in either order, Rob, but you know, taking mm -hmm. advantage of the opportunity to learn from different communities, you know, like your, your Marine Corps, don't ask, don't tell, and then you, you purposefully put yourself into groups that were different from your life experience to the moment. I thought that was a really proactive thing that you did. And I, I don't know that it was as purposeful as, as because it just sort of hit me on the side of the head early on that, you know, I thought I was in this, okay, well, there's people from all different parts of the country I'm serving with, you know, Marines who've got a lot of different backgrounds. Um, but you come to a new environment like Anderson and you realize how not diverse some of your previous experiences may have been. And that's kind of how it happened for me. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, um, don't ask, don't tell had yet to be repealed until partially through my service. So there obviously was some, you know, communities that weren't fully part of that, um, Marine Corps time. Um, the combat arms units I served with were all male units. So, you know, now we're immediately taking another huge chunk of the population that I just didn't have professional experience working alongside, you know, despite, um, kind of how weird that sounds now at this point. Um, and so because of that, I had, and I still have a lot of different things I need to learn about the challenges that many communities face, um, both in society and in the workplaces. So I would say and recommend 
that you know if um, you try to maximize your experiences in 2023 that you know every time I went to one of those events that Anderson sponsored um, I had a great experience with it not everybody you know will say that or, or um, you know you might have a different experience but I learned so much every time they put on a ask me anything panel for LGBTQ awareness week um, I you know went to the velocity conference in my last year um, which was you know, a different experience being one of the not that many males that, that attended that event, um, you know, just tagging along with the Black Business Students Association when they set up a volunteering event um, at a high school here in L.A. All of those things kind of like brought something new and, and helped me enjoy my time at Anderson more. Um, so I think if you come from a background or industry that is not diverse from a race, gender or identity perspective and, you know, Anderson shows that to you, you have an opportunity and it's a critical part of the Anderson experience to kind of, you know, expose yourself and address that gap. You've been through the course of, of this hour, you know, telling your story, you know, there's a consistency of willingness to put myself into beginner's mind, uh, you know, learn learning mode. I, I don't know this. I should look around and ask for some guidance, right? The humility to say, whoa, hey, I'm the new kid on the street here. Could you help orient me to investment banking? And, you know, and that's any of us can be curious, right? And we can learn to be curious, even if we're not curious, right? And to come into Anderson and have enough self-awareness to go, I mean, the American military is a great social experiment and a really incredible one. Like we've actually figured out how to get along to a high degree in the American military. And yet there's a commonality to that world that's discreet and different. And, and it's, a, it's an organization that has a purpose, right? And that purpose is, is very specific. So it's not every experience that's out there. So you walk into Anderson and go, oh, there are different worlds I could overlap with with my open curious mind such that i'm a bigger person than i was when i walked in the door that's that's great that you you know you opted in for that you didn't have to but it hit you like a ton of bricks like wow yeah there's there's a lot of ways to look at the world and and now you're going to go to barclays very international kind of company very sophisticated type of peer set and you know back to your very very original observation hey you know what did you how'd you say it little rough around the edges, right? <laughs> that was my experience in grad school. Yep. First time for me, first time out of Texas, I went to Chicago, you know, and I know you're from Wisconsin, so you don't, you're not so <laughs> impressed from, you're not so impressed by Chicago, but for me, you know, it was a big city. And I had some East Texas phraseology, you know, the way I held my, you know, I, I was in Europe for my study abroad during grad school. And this, I think he was German, he said, you are American, you know, I'm not doing a very good German accent. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> I can tell from the way you cut your meat. And I mean, he did not say it like a compliment. You know, I mean, I was, I don't know if I was stabbing it like a dagger, but you know, I, I disclosed my journey, you know, my lack of polish, my rough around the edges. I, I didn't mean to, I have good parents. I was raised well, doesn't mean I paid much attention to etiquette, mannerisms, but if we're if we're going to be CEO of our own life for the next 30 years and we want to be able to be gracious, you know, I just I just wanted to really put the spotlight on that before we do the, the photos, because you you chose to put yourself into some of the opportunity of diversity. There's 
Diversity is a big word these days, and it can either be off-putting or it can be an opportunity, I think. And it, to me, occurs that you looked at it like an opportunity for growth and development, which I think would be something I would love to suggest to, to the 2023s. And, and the, the three types of clubs, professional clubs, shared background, or social, anybody can join any of the clubs. So if you want to... Mm -hmm. If you want to learn about Israel, join the Israel Club. If you want to learn about the Black Business Student Association, you know, you don't have to be black. You could choose to be in that club with an open mind, an open heart, and an open curiosity, right? Like, you know, for whatever reason yep. that that might be. Or I want to, you want to learn Spanish, and, uh, lava. And right? I always, and I think that the other, you know, like you're saying with you know these clubs being open spaces as, your like the decision to walk through the door and learn something is so much easier than the you know students who are putting these events on and have the courage to kind of like share their experiences and open up their lives to to kind of let you in um and so yeah i felt like the least i could do was you know go and see my friends speak about their different experiences and in a maybe more candid way than or would more specific way than would naturally come up in general conversation so i would highly recommend those those as for sure as not just you know like opportunities while you're at business school but places you can go to grow for sure thank you thank you thank you that's any of us can choose to be curious and uh you know get out of our comfort zone right that's the opportunity all right let's do some photos let's show some of the pictures worth a thousand words Okay, so this is the first international trip I ever took. That's me on the left, my little sister, my brother on the far right, and my dad. He was doing a little bit of training while he was deployed in Bosnia in Germany. So the family flew over, and this is just a walking tour through um, Rotenburg. And uh, it was, you know, kind of a first, all right, international stuff is cool. I want to start learning more. That led to a lot of other things in my life, but I thought that was, a, okay, that's the family where we came from. Oh, I love that. Uh, that's, this is, that's, that's Rotenberg up to Tauber. That's right. That's where I proposed to my wife. I lived in Germany for three years. So anyway, I love Rotenberg. It's an amazing, it's an amazing place that everybody, if you're in that part of Germany, should definitely stop by because it, you know, it's, uh, it could get overlooked, I think, but it's, it's worth stopping there. Well, the backstory, super quick German trivia. I think it was that Eisenhower, somebody in Eisenhower's family had been there and they made sure they said, don't bomb that. Cause that's part of what makes it beautiful is it, it it's it's medieval and its architecture did not get bombed and i believe it was that's the urban myth i've heard was that eisenhower you know they circled it on the map and said you know let's we're bombing other stuff not that fair enough <laughs> uh, and i just realized the date on the you know on the corner of that picture it's like old school scanned um uh, nice so 2000 february february, yeah. 4th? <laughs> february something 2000 nice uh so this is uh, Mackenzie and I on our wedding day. Now she uh, looks just as beautiful today. I don't know how else to what else to say about that one, but major part of the whole experience. Aww. And uh, yeah, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Look how young you are. Oh my God! So this really Couple was of kids. You just graduated, got married, and launched. That's right. That's awesome. Gosh, yeah, that's a gorgeous picture. My goodness. And uh, so Marquette group being really important in the journey. This was uh, the last time I was home in northern Wisconsin in the summer, which was 2013 before I deployed to Okinawa. And so these are a couple of my um, 
you know, college roommates and, and kind of the friend group from that period of time. And then my little brother, who's not little anymore. He's quite a bit taller than me right there back behind me um, and behind Mackenzie. So I thought that was kind of fun because I'm back up at the lake right now, um, reflecting on those. Yeah, for those of us who live in California, that's a large body of water <laughs> that's not salt yeah. water. It's called a lake. We don't have those here. That's right. Uh, this is uh, my first platoon, just getting ready to go do one of our amphibious landings. We're just going through a safety brief before we go out into the ocean and taking uh, armored vehicles that are, you know, 20 tons out into the ocean is an interesting experience, interesting experience for sure. So um, that's just us preparing to do that safely. That's what it looks like in practice. So that's the early days in the Marine Corps, kind of what my job looked that, like. Were you in that picture just now or were you taking it? So I'm taking this one. Um, I'm in the green uh, flight suit off to the right on this one. Okay. Getting a little skinnier, little little shorter hair for sure. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, everybody looks, everybody looks alike with the jarhead haircut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that one I was taking, and yeah, us, us online on the way to the beach. And then this is uh, in our well deck in the ship. That's the vehicles that I was responsible for on my deployment. Um, just kind of on a quiet day, getting ready to go do another exercise. Um, and then this is that same platoon that I deployed to Okinawa with in South Korea. We did a big uh, training exercise along with the Rock Marines, and this is up in the mountains um, where we did some live fire and you know got a little group picture. So that was that peak at that time in the Marine Corps. Then uh, make it to Twenty Nine Palms and doing the the, the training and development of, of new units. So you're a little bit older, a little wiser, and kind of walking you know the same you know age group that I was in those other pictures through the development process. Um, sitting over the Humvee talking about what the plan is for the defense in the night. This is just me uh, working with the fire support team as they're about to start um, calling in for artillery and aircraft are about to start to come on station to destroy some big metal hulks in the desert as practice. Wow. I'm in the orange vest and the, the instructor kind of mode, right? And is this when you were a platoon leader? No, this is uh, this is when I was um, and after my platoon leader time. This is when I was, like I said, uh, an instructor training at the uh, Marine Corps Air Ground Combat School. Okay. So this is uh, my last day of training. Off to the right here, last day in the desert was the July Fourth weekend in 2017. Before I started at Anderson. Um, you know, over the holiday, we had a group of reserve units out there that were, um, you know, a full battalion of Marines fighting the defense. And I couldn't think of a better way to spend my last 4th of July on active duty. And Mackenzie came out that same weekend to help me move out of uh, my friend's house and see me get um, a commendation medal. So that's kind of what those two pictures are. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah, a little older, not quite as skinny as I was in some of the earlier pictures. <laughs> Uh, during my first year at Anderson doing the reserve training, um, one of my weekends down in, you know, the two weeks a year, one weekend a month kind of thing. This is my, uh, professional reading for the weekend. Nice. I have learned so from many. some of the, 
Yeah, you gotta you gotta start adding some wooden to your library if you're a new admit. You you can't get enough John Wooden. It's it's good stuff. I have 10 books of his on my shelves. And you know, when I get kind of sideswiped by some hiccup in life, you know, some flat tire, it's good stuff. It's it's old fashioned, but you can't argue with it. It's and that this particular wooden book is perfectly sized. So, you know, you're basically a, a marine combat uniform has is like a it's like cargo pants right you got these comically large um, knee pockets and uh, this book is say is sized the same as some of our little like you know marine corps professional reading pamphlets fits right in that that cargo pocket so you can pull it out whenever you're not doing something and you know carry it with you on the whole experience and they things get a little sweaty a little bent up but you know you, it's all about absorbing the wisdom however you can i love it uh, these are this uh this is my little graduation, uh, virtual graduation collage that I submitted for when my my slide came up and my name got read. Some of the, just a smattering of the people that were incredibly influential in my experience at Anderson, um, and you know, a lot of the really great experiences that, that I had with them in different places and different people. What were the what were the sunglasses in the top middle there? What was that? That's our uh, one of our uh, we thought about making that our official picture for the Anderson Veterans Association the year I was on the board. I think we ended up going with one without sunglasses, but it still I thought deserved to be memorialized. Okay, so those are those are like red, white, and blue kind of 4th of July glasses? They are, yep, they're, they're red, white, and blue glasses, and then everybody's got their like stoic, uh, you know, veteran face on for that picture. Again, we had a, a different one ultimately selected for the big uh, club board in the, the hallway, but that was a fun picture, I thought. And what's the what's the big picture on the bottom row with the blue dress and for something? Yeah, there? bottom row. That's from the the Wooden Award uh, event. So that's my dad came out for that. Um, obviously, Mackenzie, and then some of uh, some of the classmates that happened to be nearby when one of the great Anderson photographers drifts by and says, "Hey, I'm going to take a picture of this group." So a lot of people came and supported in that event, and it was a really great experience. And, this is the, uh, you know, admiration of being outdoors and, and nature on, on the drive up to Wisconsin here a little, you know, best laid plans always change. Not quite the summer before I started investment banking, I thought I was going to have, but there's always ways to make it good and beneficial. So we took the opportunity to get outside and see some of the national parks and appreciate um, what what's available in our backyard in a, in a greater sense, right? I mean, it's a long, long backyard between LA and Wisconsin, but, uh, you know. I didn't really ask you a prompt about winning the Wooden, you know, Leadership Award. Any, I mean, for people who are curious, you know, it's something you can apply for. It's, uh, it's a prestigious honor. It brings a fellowship with it. Um, anything about, about that experience? What had you throw your name in the hat for that? sort of a mentality I've embraced while at business school was make somebody else tell you no. Um, you've got nothing to lose by applying and, and the amount of effort that the application committee requests is really not that big of a lift. So, um, you know, I took the opportunity to kind of tell the story at, at that juncture as well. And I think they look at the award um, in the same way that the Marine Corps used to kind of select for promotions was it's not just about what you've done and where you've been so far, but also kind of looking for potential and promoting for that. And so I don't have a lot of insight into the, the 
selection committee's process, but that's kind of how I've, you know, rationalized the uh, the great opportunity they gave me to be part of that um, that group and stand on stage with the other impressive award winners from this year. Well, thank you for putting your name in the hat. I like that. Make someone else tell me no. <laughs> I like that, right? My grandfather's version of that is to ask is not to steal. You know, I can I can ask for many things in life. Doesn't mean I'll get them, but I have control over whether or not I ask. And, and business school is a great place to ask, right? You know, I'd like this promotion. I'd like this opportunity. I'd like to be a part of this club. I'd like to go on this trip. I don't know. I'll give the, the final words to you. Any Anything that we should have asked or should have mentioned that we did or didn't? Any shout outs? Sure. I think the, the last thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, at Anderson, if you're like me and you realize you have a surface level understanding of some different things, industries or coursework or whatever, you have the experts to reach out to. So ask your friend or fellow FEMBA or otherwise, there's probably somebody in your class who's working at a company or in the industry that uh, that's being discussed. They're the, the people I would go to um, both for guidance and future career decisions or just details and clarity so that you can comprehend like the classwork and the cases in a little bit more, you know, I guess, um, holistic way um, because you know it's not always going to be obvious to you the, the kind of behind the scenes things that are happening in different industries but FEMBA allows you to be around those people and those experts all the time. Good stuff. So, thanks Dylan for giving me um, you know another opportunity to take advantage of to talk to you and, and the team that's behind uh, behind this today I really you know hopefully something I said was useful to someone. Yeah well my team I love my team Samantha Holland and Darcy Hitt um, and Drew Mondenach from Marcom were the little four amigos for these for these summer 2020 summer spotlight interviews. But uh, yeah, Darcy and Sam are both big fans. Like, oh, he got a lot of nominations. You got to tell his story. And I was happy because of your military heritage, because of your Wooden Award. You know, so it's um, I really was grateful that you were one of the people that was nominated by your peers in the 2020 class. And um, thank you for being so generous with your time and, and so much detail and and really uh, putting it out there for people to learn from and benefit from, Rob. Thank you for that. All right, so this has been Rob Busalacci. Used to be, that's not how they said it when they first came from Italy, but that's how it's become said in his family of origin. And uh, look him up on LinkedIn. He's at Barclays now. Um, you know, it'll be fun to see what you do going forward from here. He's part of the crazy spring quarter COVID graduation, <laughs> the virtual graduation class. Of that's right. We're trying. We're bootstrapping some of this, but that's okay. You got to start. Got to start somewhere. And the story is the main thing. The story is incredible. So thank you for sharing your story, Rob. And thanks everyone for listening today.